With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> recorded live. And as much as people think that recorded live is actually me, it's really not. Welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. My name is William Hayashi. I'm your host. Uh, I guess I would say host extraordinaire since... Nobody's going to really argue with me. Uh, welcome to the, I guess this is April 29th, kind of like the last Friday in April of 2016. Um, for those of you who got your taxes done on time, fine. For the rest of you, you've got till, you know, October 15th to kind of nail that down. Our special guest tonight is Tanya Woods, or as she's seen online, Tanya L. Woods, because um, who knows how many Tanya Woods there are out there. And uh, Tanya, welcome to the show. Hi, it's, I'm so happy to be here. And there's actually many Tanya Woods out there. I've, I've Googled Hi. myself. Um, yes. One of yeah. them is like there's, an Olympic sprinter or something. There's one that's a brain surgeon. There's many of us. We are legion. Well, that, and and sounds like you're in actually good quality company, too, when you think exactly. in terms of, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Except for the one with the bad credit. So I, every time I would go to get like a video store card, it would be a problem, except for that one. You know, and, and she messes it up for everybody else. It's funny. There is another Dr. William Hayashi here in Chicago, and he teaches at Columbia. <clears throat> We've never met, but we actually have mutual friends. So that's kind of weird, you know, that, that, is that people weird. know both of us. And I'll probably scoot over there one of these days, especially I'm, I'm getting ready to do a feature movie here in Chicago in the next two years. And I, I do a lot of recruiting out at uh, at Columbia because it is a, an arts school, a film school. But, you know, every now and then, oh, I'll tell you what happened. One of his friends died. How did I know that? Because they had the funeral on a Saturday and people were flying in from all over the United States and they started calling my butt at about 5.30 in the morning looking for him. <laughs> I was lifted in Chicago. He lives in Oak Park. So, of course, directory assistance gave them my number. So I quick looked up his number and put it by the phone, and every time the phone rang, I said, no, nope, wrong number, wrong William Hayashi. You've got to call this number. So in that case, you know, identity, a mistaken identity didn't work out well for me. Um, but now that you mentioned that whole thing about the credit score, I'm going to have to check out his credit score because if it's better than mine, I'm going to use his credentials. I, you know, I was still relatively young. I, I was, when I found this out is when I went to go get my first apartment. And um, I think it was maybe 19. And at that point, she'd already had like a, a couple of mortgages and a boat loan that were all in default. And I was like, do I look like I've had a house on a couple of boats? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, where where do you live? Um, I actually live in Stone Mountain. It's a suburb of Atlanta. It's about 16 miles east. Yeah, it's, probably um, not a lot of boats. Actually, there 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 are some boats. There are some boats. Uh, there's a you. I, it's all been in the news lately, but there's um, Stone Mountain is actually like right outside my window. It's a large granite dome, 
and okay. uh, there were protests and stuff there last week. But they actually have a sizable lake that uh, surrounds the mountain. And so there's uh, there is some boating out here. Okay. Um, most you can't keep your boat on the lake because it's inside a state park. But uh, you know people take out like the little pontoon boats and that kind of thing, and they take them down the launch and they go out on the lake. So. Yeah, you know, stereotypically, since none of us are supposed to be able to swim, you know, you always wonder about something like that. But uh, I, first I, thing, I like swim. sailing. My I mother like made great efforts <laughs> to make sure that I Very could swim. Very good. Yeah, and I was on a rescue boat and stuff like that, so I knew how to swim. But people said, oh, no, that's just because you're half Japanese. I said, oh, you know, can you stop it with the racist stuff? Um, and that was the Coast Guard, by the way, who was so racist. <laughs> Anywho. All right, so. Anywho. You know, I look at I look at your brief bio here because I didn't want to I didn't want to overload myself because you know I otherwise I forget to ask things that other people would want to know. But um, like you know, I've got a profile here with a whole bunch of pictures. You're in the cosplay. Um, you you've been recording artists. Uh, what else have you done? You've done marketing, uh, creative development, a letter. Working a crayon factory. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Now that's the one I want to know about. Was it was it Crayola or somebody else? No, no. It was actually um, God. What was the name of that stuff? It's called uh, Plaid, and they're kind of those knockoff crayons—the ones that when you're coloring, they're kind of skipping. You know, you kind of yeah, get like a lot of colors and they start to chip off or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it wasn't like you know those Chinese crayons that come with their big dose of lead in them. I don't know what that's all about. They had to ban uh, one year. China exported a whole bunch of crayons, and I think they were half lead or something like that. Um, well, see now, they, we should have just melted those down. Something. Um, and then, so, you know, you're you're into cosplay. How long have you been into into dressing up and and having a good time doing that sort of thing? Um, a very long time, <laughs> many many decades. Oh, there there was kind of a, a gap there while I was in college and, and graduate school. I kind of. I took a little break. Um, I thought I, some part of me had decided that maybe I was too old to play dress up. Um, because when I was, you know, I always tell people when I first started wearing costumes was when I first started going to conventions, which was in the mm-hmm. late 80s. And that okay. was back when we just called it wearing a costume. And I still, to an extent, just consider it wearing a costume. Um, I try to familiarize myself with my characters, but I don't always necessarily participate in the play side of it. Um, so, you know, my very first costume, my, in my, oh, she accidentally disconnected. So we'll wait for her to call back in. Um, I thought about cosplay, but, uh, Tyler Perry kind of took it all out of me. You know, I just, after I saw him, when you look that fine as a woman, you know, it makes everybody else. You about to cosplay as Medea, what'd you say? No, no, I just said after I saw, after I saw, you know, uh, Tyler Perry dressing up, you know, it just kind of took me out of, uh, out of wanting to, to dress up, you know, not that I would dress up as a woman. Um, yeah, I've, I've had some good Halloween costumes, but I don't know if I, I just don't know if I have it in me to like go to a convention. I've had great Halloween costumes. One time I was wearing all black and then I put on some white gym shorts over my black pants and I went as the Oreo cookie. Um, and that was that was a lot of fun. Well, you know. And then one was, time, huh? <laughs> I said I bet that was interesting. 
And then one time I dressed in all white and I got a yellow cap and I put dust and dust bunnies on it and hair and stuff like that and did the same thing to these yellow shoes that I had. So I was all white with a yellow cap and yellow shoes and I went as a used Q-tip. That's what I thought. Oh, I lost Jar- I lost Jarvis too. Everybody is off the line except oh here comes here comes Tanya. Hopefully. Or not. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about okay, that. Okay, cool. No, I saw you. Um <laughs> I thought I thought maybe my mentioning Tyler Perry maybe made you hang up the phone. So I, uh, no, I apologize. No, no, yeah. But but you've been dressing up and, and you know I'm looking at some of these costumes. They're pretty cool. Did you go through your Star Trek phase? I did. I did because back in the day that was kind of it. I mean, people you dressed up as superheroes and uh, the Star Trek costumes I think were probably the first kind of sanctioned costumes. You know, I remember that you used to be able to buy, like, a pattern in the dealer's room because, you know, we didn't have oh, the Internet. Okay. You couldn't go online and download images. You know, you would buy magazines like, um, God, what was that thing called? I think there was something called, like, I remember I used to get um, the actual sci-fi magazine or something like that, and you okay. could get these pictures, and you could, you know, then try to draw yourself a pattern. But at some point early on, there were um, the TOS, like the dresses and the shirts, and then later on there was the Next Generation. And um, I actually belonged to Starfleet uh, in Atlanta. There was a huge, and I think there still is, um, there's a huge Star Trek fan base. And, and we had Starfleet Academy, and I signed on as a cadet, and I stuck around for a couple of years. And um, I think I I think I had a T, I know I had a TOS and a, a Next Generation, and at some point I might have made one from the very first movie. The the orange jacket. Um, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's been like ages ago, but yeah, that was that was always some of my first um, really fantasy based ones. Other than I was gonna say my very first costume, the one that stopped me from store bought costumes at Halloween, is that my mother made me a Batgirl, and I think <laughs> okay. I might have been yeah, I think I might have been like eight or nine, and we went to Hancock Fabrics and they had like a little pattern. And it was just a, a cape and a little cowl, and uh, I think you cut a felt uh, chest emblem out, and it had some little felt gauntlets. And I was like, this is pretty awesome. So when Halloween rolled around the next year, I didn't want to go back to wearing, you know, back in the 70s, we had these kind of cheap vinyl, highly flammable costumes. You know, uh-huh. you'd have this weird oh, yeah. cotton, right. cotton thing that would, you know, that's, the second you got near a jack-o'-lantern, it was going to go up. Um, and so I immediately didn't want to do that. And so after that, every year we would make my costume. And um, I didn't I didn't really do superheroes at first. I think I was a clown one year, and maybe I was a fairy one year or something like that. And then around about the time that I got into high school, um, Cats was big. And the first mm-hmm. costume that I wore to my first con, I think my first con was the Atlanta Fantasy Fair. Um, it used to be like a winner, kind of a comic book thing that we had in Atlanta. And I, I dressed as uh, Mr. Mephistopheles, Mes- 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 I can't say that word. Um, anyway, from Cats. And I had, oh, okay. uh, I remember I cut, up a, I cut up an umbrella to make kind of a skirt thing because I had this unitard and, you know, I had done the ears and I made this great fur collar out of like shag carpeting and my mom was like you're gonna go on marta in that 
<laughs> and and I was like, well, um, okay. So I, I got this old umbrella and I kind of cut it up and tore it up and made myself like a skirt. And she felt that that was sufficient. And I, and I rode Marta because I remember the column was like at the Omni and I and a friend rode Marta. And on the way down, I met what is now probably one of the first cosplay photographers. It was this guy named Tony Cade. Who, uh, he owns a comic book shop here in Atlanta now, but he was on the train with his camera, and he was going to the convention because he'd heard about it too. And so I, I probably took my first cosplay photo, like, I don't know, 86, 87, something like that. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, I have dated myself. But, yes, that, that, was, that was probably my first serious cosplay costume. Well, I mean, given – I mean, I could see – a lot of people get into that because there, there's two aspects of, to it as far as I see, <clears throat> but not having, having done it myself. Excuse me, I have, to, I have to admit, I have a little bit of a cold today, and uh, so I, I, my throat is not behaving. But, but one of the things that I see is, you know, there's the accomplishment of putting together the cool costume, you know, and, and just, you know, the, 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 personal, the personal satisfaction in the mastery of the costume. And then also I see actually going and showing it off as being like, a huge component of that because, you know, it's it's like if you paint a great picture, yes, you may appreciate it, but it, it seems to me it would be a lot more satisfying and a lot more fun if you if you have other people see it and appreciate it. So, I mean, for you, what what do you find to be the best part, or is it is it equal parts of both? Um, honestly, for me, it's actually the construction side. I've right. always been very interested in taking base elements and making it into something else. Um, both sure. of my parents are very creative people. Um, my dad does, like, carpentry, and my mother, she does everything. She paints, she does pottery, she does jewelry. And so I really enjoy the actual process of, you know, finding a character or a costume and planning it out and getting together my materials and putting it together. Um, I do... I've kind of gotten better about enjoying the exposition side of it, I guess. Um, right. Because usually, honestly, I'm one of these people, I don't have a costume for me because I do get that sense of accomplishment from, hey, I'm finished. Check this out. Isn't it right. awesome? But I don't, I'm not one that I don't necessarily seek out, you know, I've got to get a whole lot of shots of it and I've got like endless photo galleries. In fact, that's one of the things I've been working on because people are always like, why don't you have more photos? And, um, and it's because I really haven't, hate that much attention to that side of it until recently. Right. So I'm trying uh-huh. to do better about that. And and do you do you think that there is a component of being the exhibitionist in you or not? I would say yes uh-huh. um, to, an, to an extent because everybody likes to be the center of attention at some point, um, preferably positive attention. So I would say yes. I mean, I've I've dabbled in many things that kind of put me out front. I you know I I did like EDM music for a while. I was in a band. So yeah, there there is a part of me that enjoys that interaction. Um, but I guess the the difference maybe for me is that a, there's a lot of people who now are kind of more into it for the visual aspects of it. They really enjoy the posing. They enjoy the the photos. I kind of like more of the people factor. I like meeting yeah. other people. I was and, just um, about to say that because if you, if I mean, meeting like-minded people who are doing the same thing also helps you with your own validation too, you know? Right. And, you know, I, one of my first 
kind of more serious cosplays is a couple of years ago after I had decided that, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to try to build armor. Um, I had a friend, he invited me to go to Heroes Con, and he invited me like on Tuesday, and the con started on Thursday. And uh, we were going to take the bus because we were both broke. So we're like, oh, we're just going to take the mega bus. So I put together this kind of janky Storm cosplay. And I was like, yeah, no, it's early aught Storm when to be an X-Men, they just basically gave you a fistful of patches and you stuck it on anything. And you were like, hey, this is my costume. I'm an X-Men. So, <laughs> you know, I go to the thrift store. I, I buy this kind of really cool structured leather jacket, and I hand sew this piping on it on the bus. Okay. And I sew on the pieces, and I've got my wig and everything. But I really didn't like it that well. And I was in the hotel room, and I got dressed and everything. I was like, I have to go downstairs. You know, my friends are waiting on me. They had already left. They were they were already dressed. And right. um, I, I get in the elevator. I go downstairs, and I step out of the elevator, and like five seconds later, the best gambit that I have ever seen is like, hey, Shia, I'm glad you're here. And he drags me into this photo shoot with him in this like super awesome rogue. And I'm standing there kind of going, Guys are so awesome. Oh wait, I can't be fangirling. I'm in the picture. Stop, stop. And I was like, but they think my costume is awesome. So okay, it's awesome. I agree. And, and so, I mean, a lot of people don't get it, but it's probably because it's not so. I mean, it's, obviously, it's not so common as other kinds of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror expression, you know, personal expression, you know, like some people are into, you know, collecting certain things. Some people are into getting autographs of their fa- their favorite characters, stuff like that. And and then there are those who enjoy the dressing up. I mean, I haven't been to a, a convention myself, um, mostly because I'm waiting for this ankle bracelet to come off, but I, <laughs> I kind of want to go and watch, you know, I want to, and and I wanted to. I mean, you're the like the first person I've had the opportunity of discussing this with, and and it's obvious that you're excited. It's obvious that it trips your trigger. It's obvious that it's something that you enjoy, and and there's so many components to it. There's a competitive component. There's a there's an exhibitionist component there, and and it's far more. I think it's more extensive, and far more, you know, there, there's a, 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 de- a depth to it in terms of why people do it than, oh, I'm just going to put something on and go, you know, because I know right. it, I, I've, gotten, I've gotten lazy in the last 10 years or so, and about the only dressing up I, I ever did was for Thanksgiving, well, except for that Roman gladiator thing at the orchard. Well, <laughs> never mind. So anyway... <laughs> You know, I, I, like today, I dress up as a serial killer every time because they look like everybody else. And then I could just wear whatever I'm wearing. But, but there's, a whole, there's a whole other mentality that I would like to kind of explore in somebody else because it's not in me. You know, it's, it's kind of like admiring somebody who, who does something that I don't do. You know, one, like one of the, my great regrets in life is that I never learned how to play the piano. You know, and, and to know people who just do it so casually. Yeah, you know, my parents made me do uh, do lessons when I was younger. And you know, every now and then I get into it and then I don't and it's no big thing. And I go, but it's the coolest damn thing possible. How can you not be? But it's just the way people people consider these different things that they do. You know, right. and, and, for, and for you, 
you know, let's let's ask, uh, like, I mean, how how many days out of the year do you think you're kind of involved in 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 the costuming aspect? And that that includes, you know, the the thinking about it, the actual execution, <laughs> and then and then wearing it out. Uh, well, if if we're being quite honest, it it becomes a kind of all-consuming thing. So that would honestly probably be 365 days if I'm conscious and aware. Wow. Um, yeah, because you, you get to a point where, you know, for instance, there are materials out there that we all use, but right. it's also the kind of thing that lends itself to everything in the kitchen sink. So okay. once you get into it, you kind of get into a mode where every day when you encounter anything, you kind of look at it and give it like a cosplay evaluation. It's like, mm-hmm. hmm, can I use this colander to make, like, shoulder cauldron? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. for me, I went through the same thing when I was making, <clears throat> excuse me, making plastic models. And then after Star Trek came out, you know, they had the, the, the plastic model that you would put together of the Enterprise and the Klingon ship and stuff, and you could put little lights in it. And then I would look around the house. I mean, I, I, I understand that where if you see something cool, you go, oh, man, that. I could do something with that. But it doesn't even have to be anything cool. Like, you know, I'm at work. They get a new kind of tape, and I check the tape because I'm like, I wonder if, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's bad because I've actually gotten my parents involved. And uh, my dad worked for a company that does custom uh, stained glass doors. Right. And so uh, he, he actually builds furniture out of these redwood pallets that some of the uh, raw glass is shipped in. He he takes it home and, like, he's got every tool known to mankind to work wood with. But my dad will call me and say, yeah, today we went to, like, this location and the guy was throwing out these parts from something. I don't really know what they are, but I got you a box full. I don't know if you could use it for a costume or not. <laughs> and and I, I'm sure, I, I mean, it sounds like your, both your parents were, like, really supportive from a, a young age on for you, correct? They are, um, even though they completely don't get it. Like, when I went to film school, my dad, to this day, thinks that I'm going to be on the news at some point. He he still thinks that I want to be a broadcaster, which was never my intent. But, yeah, my parents are, are kind of like, uh, I think they've just always been happy that I, I never got into trouble or anything, you know. Right. I, I, I went to school. I got a decent job, you know. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a responsible adult. So, you know, anything else that I wanted to do, my parents were very supportive. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, you should go and, and try that thing out. And where did you grow up? Did you grow up there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up here. Um, my family has been here for generations. I did live, um, I went to graduate school in D.C. And then okay. I just came home. I, I lived up there for maybe nine, almost ten years. Wow. Okay. And and if if you know, what's your regular day job right now? I mean, you've made crayons, you you know, you've mm-hmm. done marketing, you've done all of these things. What do you what are you currently involved in? So my regular day job now is that I'm a proposal writer for a a large computer firm. Uh, okay. that, that people wouldn't know if I if I said the name out loud, which I, I want to. No, no, you don't have to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you can't I, say it out loud because you know nobody listens to this show. Don't worry about yeah, it. It's not yeah, like anybody's yeah. ever going to hear about this. You know. 
this is true. This they, actually, you know, they have this whole thing about how we how we present ourselves in social media. But um, yeah, no. So I I actually write responses to okay. client RFPs for for you know products and services. So yeah, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've actually been doing that a while. Um, when I went to D.C., I didn't have a job when I moved up there, and uh, I, I went to a temp agency. And, like, the second job they sent me to was Lockheed Martin, and it worked out fine. And then so I just kind of, you know, as they say, I became a beltway bandit. I became one of these contracted proposal people who worked sure. for, like, every, you know, big five <laughs> firm in D.C., and that's just kind of how I fell into it. You know, it, it's kind of funny to me, or not funny, but it, it's it, it's interesting to me that so many people in the creative arts, especially when you talk about science fiction, fantasy, and horror, are are in technology fields of some kind. You know, they're either, I mean, there's a ton of people who I've interviewed who are in the computer industry, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, now we have you, you know, coming sideways at, you know, technology, because you're, you're basically writing. So part of it's creative, part of it's technical, but yet it's still, it's in the technology field. Um, mm-hmm. When you were, I mean, all of these things that you do, um, I'm kind of surprised, you know, how, how were the things that you did that were more creative? Did you brush up against them? Did you get deep into them? Or did you find out that they weren't for you? Like, like doing marketing or creative development, those sorts of things. No, I um, they are for me. It's it's been more of a geographic thing, I guess. Um, right out of film school, for instance, I worked for several years in Atlanta, <clears throat> and and I did a lot of music videos. I did a lot of commercials, industrials, a couple of really awful B movies. Um, and it, that was back when Atlanta really wasn't the happening spot for production that it is now. So, right. you know, you would struggle to, like, eat. And so a lot of those weird jobs were things that I would pick up when, you know, I couldn't get a booking and things were kind of slow. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go work as a drill press operator in a cabinetry plant for six months until the weather is better. Because back then, you know, we didn't have studios and stuff like that. So when it was, like, super, super hot or in the wintertime, it wouldn't be that many jobs. And I um, did that for a while, and then I worked for myself. Um, I worked for a comic book company for a while, and it's it's usually just been a matter of, you know, what do I want to do right now? You know, I was interested in, I still am, in buying a house. And so okay. the current gig, it was kind of like, okay, I need to stop housing cash for a house, and I need to have a consistent job on paper. Because, you know, when you're freelancing, mortgage companies don't really care for that. <laughs> Yeah, Sometimes that's, that's like, yeah, I've got consistent income every month, but, you know, usually most freelancers are kind of in a situation where it's feast or famine. You know, you'll have some kind of dry months. And so I was like, well, I want to buy a house, so I'll go get a real job. And so this is actually the first uh, job job that I've had in about 10 years. Other than uh-huh. that, I've always worked as a contractor of, of some kind doing something. And then what about, you know, brushing up against uh, the, um, you know, the, the create like you mentioned filmmaking. What, mm-hmm. Did you do a lot in the filmmaking or what were you doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a script supervisor. I've been a production coordinator. I've been a production manager. Um, I've been a project manager on a couple of animated shorts. Um, but, again, you know, those kind of things, they're usually unless you're actually working for, like, uh, uh, an actual production company, 
they yeah. it tends to kind of stop and start, you know, hey, I'm going to go work on this movie, you know, well, between the ramp up actual shooting and post stuff, you might get, you know, five, six months of good steady work out of it. Well, it's but like I, that I in Hollywood, like, too. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. You know, of course, I, I, I listen to a lot of people, you know, uh-huh. back in the late 90s, early aughts, and they were like, yeah, you should really consider getting like a regular job. And so I went off to graduate school and majored in something completely unrelated, and I got a regular job, and it wasn't exactly my thing. I, I really do prefer the creative work, and even now I, I get some level of creativity because I still have some marketing tasks with my current day gig. But, uh, you know, on the side, I, I do, like, web work, and I have my own website, and I Photoshop stuff for other people. So <laughs> I, I still get to do that, I just don't get to do it every day from like eight until five. Well, but I, I, mean, I think with my side project. Yeah, most of us creatives are like that. I would love to be able to live off my writing, but it's not at that point yet, you know. So, so I have to go and de-virus and de-porn computers and you know really stupid things. To me, <laughs> to me, they're stupid. Well, right. I mean, it, it, it's very lucrative. I mean, I, I am so lucky. I got into computers in 1970. So when something new comes out, it's only a little bit new to me, you know, where it may be fantastically new to somebody else. But I, I would I would give it up in a heartbeat if I could live off of my writing, but it's not at that point. I mean, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Um and, and if you had your if you had your perfect job, if you could be making the money that you need to to live and uh, you know, get some luxuries and some other stuff, what what do you think you would be doing? Hmm. Well, I'm actually working on making my perfect job happen. So for the last six, eight months or so, I've been um, working on kind of this multimedia art installation type of a thing where basically I'm going to combine comics with music and the cosplay. It'll be something a bit like the gorillas if I can make it work. And so, you know, ideally I would be creating in all those mm-hmm. things. I really I really did enjoy doing music, but you know, as anybody can tell you, unless you're like Beyonce, you you struggle to get money back from the label. I mean, I I actually had a couple of records that did very well for other people. You know, yeah. I had somebody tell me that I bought him a Porsche and I'm looking at him kinda of going, Well, <laughs> well where's mine? Great. <laughs> you know, I you know, I might be able to buy myself a decent bass boat used <laughs> So, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you you want to do things. And then, you know, the other piece of it, I was actually laughing when you were talking about the piano thing. I don't play that many accompanyable instruments. I eventually did manage to scrape together some kind of chord piano. Like on okay. stage, I can chord my way through it, and it's not horrible. But I'm, I'm not sure. particularly good at that. So, you know, it's always a thing. And anything that I've pretty much learned how to do, it was always because I found myself frustrated by being reliant on other people. Right. But as I've gotten older, I've also kind of learned that in creative pursuits, it's often better to actually work with other people. Even if you don't work with them all the time, sometimes it's good to just be in a space with other creative people to talk about your process, to talk about what you're working on, because it does invigorate you. So, um, you know, I'm kind of trying to feel out and put together a little team to make this other thing happen. And um, Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of synergy that you get when you're around other creative people because, you know, the, the, you, you rarely get two who are the same. 
you know, who are, who who look at things exactly the same. And and being able to play off of somebody else or at least tell them what you're thinking, they go, oh man, you know what that makes me think of, and then and then you know things do snowball, snowball, excuse me, snowball. Exactly. Um, exactly. And the other thing, going back to what you said that you'd like to do, it sounds very much like you want to be kind of like a transmedia creative uh, person because yeah, your, I mean, your your creativity spans many, many, you know, the, the, the spans different genres, different media, different, yeah, different media, you know, whether it's visual, uh, animated, uh, musical, whatever. And and that's kind of a cool place to be, especially coming up over the next decade, because people, you know, a lot of people throw the word around transmedia, but a lot of people don't understand that what it is is it's it's a, an effective blending of unlike components, and and that's got to be exciting as hell to think about doing something in in a field that is that is nascent, you know, kind of kind of at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, is that how you feel about it? That it's it's that exciting because it's new, or is it is it more exciting because it allows you to do exactly what you want and not necessarily you know being being a jobber for somebody else? How are you I looking at it? It's probably really more of the latter for me. I've always uh-huh. um, it, it, it it's one of these things where even if I were to try not to, I've never been able to stop myself from being creative. Even at points when I was like, you know what, you really need to just buckle down and do this other thing, I would always still be like, eh, I'm just going to do a little bit of origami and fold these two or three things up and stack them on my desk. Um, So to me, it's really more of an opportunity for me to kind of exercise all these different interests that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a very serious person, so I'm always – I'm not necessarily the first in line to adopt new technologies, but I definitely will read about them and investigate them. And, um, like, right now I'm fiddling around with 3D printing. And, right. um, you know, I bought a kit. I built it. It kind of sort of worked. I ended up buying a different one to print parts to fix the first one. Um, okay, so don't buy any more. Don't buy any no, more because I'm building uh, – no, no, I'm building a 3D printer manufacturing plant here in Chicago. So we'll mm-hmm. talk. All right? We so don't, don't, don't buy any more crap. <laughs> well, you know, because you're, you're a serious person. That's what you just said. So I'm seriously telling you, don't buy crap. I'll I'll help you okay. out later. Okay. I will hold you to that. I will hold you. Well, to but, that. And, well, here's the thing. 3D printing is is cool. It's like people are trying to treat it like they were trying to treat the internet in 1992. Okay, in 1992, everybody thought, oh, the internet has unlimited potential. And so, you know, they thought, oh, let me just buy my 50-pound bag of dog food off the Internet. And then they finally realized, you know, I'm paying more for the shipping than I am the dog food. You know, so people couldn't quite wrap their heads around it. So, so with you looking at newer technologies, it's not like you want to be a bleeding-edge adopter, but it sounds more like you want to make sure that if something comes along that definitely will fit in what you're doing, you, you want to be able to integrate that into what you're going to do, right? Exactly. I'm a fan of, you know, I always tell people, work smarter, not harder. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I am not someone that this is my process and I am married to it. I'm always kind of like, okay, this is how I'm doing this right now. If someone comes along and they've got a better idea or I, I see something on the Internet or I read something in a magazine, then I'm, if, if I think that it's going to make 
things faster and better, then I'm going to research it and see if I can actually find a way to kind of work it into my work stream. Sure. Um, and okay, so let me let me ask the uh, the the question: Where where do you see three D printing fitting in with what you do now, or how are you going to integrate that? Because when when I look at costuming, well, I don't see a lot except making your own jewelry or you know stuff like that. Um, but I do see. I do, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I do see how it would work for the transmedia part, where if you're creating you know, characters and and storylines and stuff like that, obviously 3D printing could fit right into that. You know, if people glom onto your your creative universe, you can you can print your characters, send them out as print. I mean, there's a lot of things that 3D printing can do, but it's, you know, again, it's a matter of being smart about how you're going to integrate it into your business model. Right. So I, um, you know, at points in my life, I have been a 2D graphic designer. And so I... One of the things that I originally thought was, okay, I need to learn how to do 3D modeling before I buy this printer. But then I was kind of like, mm, I, you know, I started a couple of online courses and I got a vague idea of what I was doing. For me, it's really been about modeling and printing the parts that I wasn't happy with the ways in which I could create them. Like, I would have costumes that would have, like, weird gauges and stuff, and, you know, I would hunt around for something that looked like that thing, and I might, you know, cut a piece of plastic and glue that on, and then I would find, you know, an old metal sewing machine bobbin, and I would add that to it, and it would look pretty good, but I still wouldn't be happy with it. So my initial intent when I I bought the, the printer was, okay, I'm going to use this to make all of these small, finely tooled components that I am not happy uh, with the methods that I'm using to create them right now. But, you know, and, and that's really, you know, in the same vein, though, that's really kind of a function of what's available on a, on a consumer grade and within my price right. point. Because, for instance, right. the movie Pacific Rim, all the armor in that movie was 3D printed. But they print it on these huge industrial printers. Right. And print it like, I think, 30 or 40 copies of every actor's costume because they had issues with it breaking and all this sort of thing. So, you know, a lot of people in the cosplay side of it are actually using it to print things like uh, prop guns and helmets and actual pieces of their cosplay armor. At this point, for me, um, it's cost prohibitive for me to have anything that's actually going to print out the parts fast enough. Like, I, I think my, somebody posted that they had done, like, a whole Samus Aaron. And um, I think they said it was something crazy, like 1,600 hours of printing. Or, I don't know, maybe it wasn't 1,600, but it was several hundred hours of printing. Sure, and sure. Even now, I've gotten kind of weird the, the older I get. I've gotten very strange about... Um, you know, recycling and conserving energy. So when I look at a print and it's telling me that it's going to be like two or three hours, I'm always trying to find a way to tweak the model <laughs> to reduce that. Because I'm yeah. just like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, at the same time, I've recently been using other materials in my cosplay building just because, you know, everybody uses the EVA foam. You, I don't know if you've mm. seen this online, but a yes, lot of I people have, yeah. 
yeah, the anti-fatigue mats and stuff like that. Well, the thing of it is, is post-consumer use EVA is not recyclable. Oh, so I didn't know that. It's not. It's completely not recyclable. Now, if you're a company that's making something like flip-flops or you're making those actual mats yourself, then, yes, there are companies that will come and, and pick up your trimmings and they make them in the other things. But, yeah, there's nowhere right. that you can take the EVA scrap. And there was a point where I had three 55-gallon trash cans in my workshop that were full of just bits of, of scrap foam. You know, you, right. you cut out a part and it and it leaves you this three by four piece. And I would be like, okay, well, I'll use I'll use that to make a little piece later. Well, you're never gonna make enough little pieces. So, you know, I've been looking at my process that way too, and saying, okay, how can I continue to build while cutting down on the amount of you know trash and unrecycled material? Yeah, yeah. So that has been the other piece of the 3D part for me because I'm looking at it, I'm kind of going, okay, well, this thing, this thing, and this thing, I can 3D print that. And this thing over here, I can maybe carve that out of pink foam or, or something else. And this part over here, I do have to make that out of regular EVA foam or, you know, there's thermoplastics and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the thermoplastics, um, you can almost use it down to just tiny, tiny particles because you can actually remelt it together and mm -hmm. make, like, a usable piece. So I've I've actually been revising my workflow. And so the 3D printing thing, you know, I, I would like to think, and I think it will happen, that it'll just kind of be like when we all bought DVD players and that first one that I bought, I think it was $600. It was a Sony. It was like five ninety nine, And, you know, you can go to Target all day and get one now for 12 bucks. Sure, <laughs> that is true. Well, I mean, early adopters do they they basically pay for the technology, you know? Because yes, oh, oh, let's take let's take uh, let's take when CDs came out. Magnavox was the first company to put out a commercial CD player, and they sold it through Montgomery Ward. And oh, wow. it was you know I I've been hearing about yeah I know I'm old I I apologize for that but. Uh, but it's seriously, okay. the, awesome. like 20, 20 years ago, I wasn't this old. I'm just saying. But I mean, <laughs> I went, I went to Montgomery Ward, and I'm looking at this, this. I think it was like four ninety nine or whatever it was, or five ninety nine. It was, and I was a disc jockey at the time. And so, you know, I did club and I did radio, and I went in there and I put the headphones on and I was listening to a CD, and I just about cried. I mean, I just about cried because there were no ticks, no pops, no no static, no nothing. And and I've been working with records for decades, having to deal with that. You know, like if I scratched one, I would have to um, to go ahead and then get a new one. You know, like uh, I don't know how many I've got. Let me look. I got four four copies over here on my shelves of Isaac Hayes's Black Moses because something happened and I had to get a new one so that I could use it on the radio. But but I, you know, that's how it was. Look, look at the first flat screen TVs. They were six thousand bucks, and and now if you buy the right computer, they're giving them away. Yep, yep. So I don't know, but I mean, when when you talk about what you're doing, you know, eventually there's going to have there's going to be a way of utilizing that scrap. Somebody's going to utilize that scrap because there's going to be money in it. But it's good that you're taking that you're already now considering a holistic approach in in how to you know model your business 
you know, it's not so much like the carbon footprint thing, but, you know, just knowing that you're turning out a whole bunch of stuff that, that can't be used over again um, and being aware of it, I, I think that's laudable. And and so now when you go ahead and when you're conceiving your newer costumes or you get to a newer costume, are you looking at all of the aspects of, okay, how, you know, is cost effectiveness a big part of your construction process? Um, kind of take us Take us through that. You know, if you think of something, what are what are what are your first considerations when you're thinking about a new costume? Hmm. Uh, usually, I'm I'm looking at time constraints. I've tried to get better about that. I there was a time when I would look at all the conventions for the year and I would say, Hey, for this convention, I want to do these two costumes or these three costumes. So that was that was a bad idea. Because okay. I never get finished on time, and then I would be like really, really depressed because I'd be at the convention with like one costume <laughs> or two. And so then I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. So now, um, usually with my build now, I'm really more interested. I build things because of the challenge to build it, or I build it because I actually think it's really cool looking. And um, for some cosplayers, that's bad because they feel that you have to have an actual connection to the character. Yeah. I will build things just because I think they look cool. And, you know, along the way, I do my research, and uh, I, I'll I'll get to know the character through that research, but it's not necessarily the, the original sticking point for me. Um, cosplay is one of those things, like golf, you can spend as much as you want. So, you know, you can either make do with a set of clubs that you got at the Salvation Army, or you go out and you drop, you know, $1,200 on a Big Bertha. So I kind of fall somewhere in between. Um, there's a lot of people, they spend thousands of dollars on every cosplay. I'll say that I spend a couple of hundred dollars on every cosplay. Okay. Um, yeah. When I first started building, and even now to an extent, um, as I said, I'm very curious. So whenever somebody tells me that they used, like, a different kind of material or they used resin to coat something or they used a different kind of paint, if I have the time and the project that I'm working on is suitable, I might go and acquire that thing. But I think at this point I've probably bought um, as much stuff like shop equipment, like I've got, you know, a belt sander and Dremels and all this kind of stuff. I bought all that stuff now. So usually for me it's just the base materials. It's it's figuring out what am I going to make this out of. Um, I recently started doing fabric again, which I don't know, for some reason for a while there I kind of felt like fabric, I guess, was cheating. Which, okay, all my fabric people Quit your screaming. I can hear you out there on the Internet. Um, I Because that was what I, I began life doing, and, you know, I learned how to sew for my mom when I was in, in high school, um, I kind of felt like it wasn't as much of a challenge as the armor was. And so for a while, I would only make armor. But now I kind of go back and forth. So uh, usually the first thing I do is I, I see this cool thing that I decide that I want to do. Um, in the world of cosplay, there's this thing called a group cosplay, and that's where you'll get a couple of friends together and you decide that you all want to do characters from a particular property. You know, we're all going to be Jedi Knights, and so we all agree that we're going to do this and we're going to do it by this particular convention or for this photo shoot or whatever it is, and then you all get together your, your materials that you might work together. You might work separately. So for me, the first thing that I do is I decide what I'm going to be and then I go out there and I try to see how much source material I can get my hands on. 
And, um, you know, a lot of people like to make a costume to wear to the premiere of a movie. And so the only thing that they're working with is whatever they could see in the trailer if that thing isn't being developed from another property like a comic book or, um, you know, a TV show or something like that that's made the move to to the big screen. So I go out there and I find a bunch of uh, source material. There's a lot of websites that have screen grabs from movies. Um, I might go and buy a comic. I poke around online. You know, you do image searches. I get all that stuff together. And uh, then I start, I kind of like to break it down into small incremental parts. And I I figure out which parts I think will take me the longest to construct and what will be uh, supposedly the easiest and the fastest to construct, which oftentimes when you're making these decisions early on, it's completely untrue and not what happens in the end. But, um, yeah, I I go and I do that. And then um, I actually make patterns. Now, a lot of people who do armor, they will draw it out on, you know, they go and they buy butcher paper or they just use newspaper. I have friends that they actually will take a piece of foam, slap it on the counter, get out a Sharpie, draw on it. I have one friend, he doesn't even do that. He just takes out, you know, your cutting implement of choice and he begins cutting. Um, I actually, (laughs) yeah, I know. I I want to be him when I grow up. Um, I, um, you know, a lot of people laugh at me because I kind of have this long protracted process that they don't see. The, the point of necessarily, but I find it comforting. Um, I actually make uh, my patterns in Illustrator. I, If I can, I'll actually import an image of the character, and I kind of go through a process where I kind of trace the pieces, and because I've been sewing for so long, I can kind of get an idea of if I'm translating this to foam, which is stiff, then I need to kind of put a dart here or make an additional... Uh, easement here so that when I heat this thing up and curve the foam, because that's how you, you, you shape the foam, you kind of heat it up and then you, you shape it a bit like modeling clay. Um, I actually make all the patterns and then I print out my patterns and sometimes I have to tape them together because you end up with relatively large parts. I, I tape it together, then I trace it onto the foam or the material that I'm using. Um, at this point, I've, I've used a bit of everything. I, I've used foam, I've used styrene. I've used um, some of the thermoplastics. But anyway, I, I cut my my patterns out, and then I, I shape it. I glue it together. Um, then there's finishing. You know, you've got to paint it. You've got to add on other little extras. I've recently gotten into electronics, which is kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I'm forever trying to find a better place to hide a battery and, you know, what's the smallest battery that I can use to still make this thing light up or make a noise, yeah. or, or whatever it is, and uh, so that's kind of that's kind of a process, and so I usually, I'll sit down, and um, I'll kind of figure out a materials list, and oftentimes, I'm always experimenting, so, uh, you know, for any costume that I've worn, there's probably three and a maybe in my workshop before the one that the public actually saw, so sometimes yeah, my friends somebody- will be like, mm-hmm. Somebody wants to know what kind of foam you use. What kind of foam I use? Is it bad? Oh, the foam. foam? Oh, foam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, the foam, I, I use um, just the regular EVA foam that everybody else buys. I, I go to Harbor Freight. Um, they sell the big floor mats. So you get like four tiles for maybe 10 bucks. Oftentimes there's a coupon. If you sign up on their website, they'll send you coupons um, and they'll send you mailers. Um, they also sell a rolled variety. 
I'm not as keen on the rolled foam lately. I think maybe they have a different manufacturer, and it, it's kind of not consistent in the density of the foam, and sometimes it's got pock marks and air pockets in it and stuff like that. Um, there's a couple of other suppliers online, like TNT Cosplay Supply. They sell um, the EVA foam that you can get. If you've been in, like, Hobby Lobby or Michael's, many of the craft stores sell sheets of EVA foam, and there's a brand name called Foamy. They sell it, and they sell it in different thicknesses. Um, but TNT Cosplay, they actually sell larger rolls of um, material that's very similar to the Foamies, but it's uh, it's thicker. It, I think they sell uh, 6, 8, and 10 millimeter maybe. And I, I buy from there. And so I, I those are usually the, the three foams that I use. Um, here lately, because I've been working more with the thermoplastic, I've actually been using a lot of the kind of small sheets that you can get um, just from a craft store. One of the things that I, I discovered, you know, when I when I first started building costumes, or at least the armored costumes, it was because I, I saw Pacific Rim, and I just thought the Compod armor that the, the pilots were, I thought, wow, that is really cool. And so I went online, and I was prepared to pay for my first commission, and I could not find anyone that had made that costume. And everybody I asked said, well, you know, you, you can make it yourself. Just just go online. Right. There's tutorials on YouTube. Just <laughs> go on YouTube and you can make it yourself. And that's completely true. I I went on YouTube. I discovered that there's all these tutorials online. There's all these people who are doing this stuff. And all of them to a one said, hey, no, I made my armor using this tile from Harbor Freight. So I go and I buy the tile and I discover it's actually really thick. Um, yeah. It takes a fair amount of heat to to shape it, and EVA foam, it does off-gas when you're using it. Um, I use a respirator, and I do it. Uh, I actually have a, a workshop space in a warehouse that has ventilation when I'm heating this stuff up. But um, I find that the thicker foam is actually a bit more difficult to work with. If you're making something like Iron Man or Medieval Armor, that sort of thing, you might be able to get it to work for you. Um, you know, I always tell people it's definitely cosplay your way. So I encourage people to just try different materials until you find the ones that work for you. You know, mm-hmm. however however you can make it work. If you're satisfied with how your costume work, looks, then that's all that you need it to do. So, um, yeah, I see that somebody's asking a question about the off-gassing. Yeah, it gives off fumes, and people will say, oh, it smells bad. Well, I got news. Anytime you're working with any material, um, you know, cosplay, you're you're working on something around your house, if you smell something and you're like, oh, I think it's giving me a headache, those are probably toxic fumes and you need no better ventilation. Um, and yeah. so EVA foam, <laughs> like resins and things like that, all of them give off different kinds of fumes. Um, some of them is basically sarin gas. Um, if you're working with, like, PVC and stuff like that, it's chlorine gas when you're heating that stuff up. And so, you know, safety first. I wear my respirator. I have vent fans and things like that when I'm working at the warehouse. Or if I'm at home, I go outside. I do it on my patio. Um, so, yeah, so you there's many options out there for foam, um, and it just depends on what you're making. If you need something, if you need to do something that has a relatively complex curve, usually those things lend themselves to thinner foam where either you have to use a lot of uh, darts and pieces to make the same curve with a thicker piece of foam. 
Sure. Sure. But now for you, um, what's, I, I know you get a sense of accomplishment when you're done, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the beginning of the process. What What is it that you think drives the excitement about seeing something new or thinking of something new? Is it because it's new to you or is it because it's, uh, you know, is it is it internal, external? Is it for you or is it, hey, this is going to look great and other people are going to like it? Um, and I, I do know that you have a lot of pride in just doing stuff for yourself to make it for yourself because you wanted it for yourself. But, I mean, let's be honest, the the essence of cosplay is getting yourself out there so that other people can at least see what you're doing. Um, right. How, mu- how, much, how much of the component is external for you of doing a new costume and how much of it is, is the internal, oh, this is great for me, this is something I never thought of or this is going to be a challenge? You know, what, what's, what's kind of, what drives your process? Um, I would say it's probably 90% internal. I, and, okay. you know, some of that may be that I'm an only child. And so in my mind, I am always the center of the universe. <laughs> it's nice if others recognize that from time to time. But, um, no, for me, it, it, it's strictly an internal process. You know, I, people always ask me, well, do you do costume contests? And the answer is right. no. Not really, yeah. because I, I build these things for myself. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot is people talk about cosplay bullying and, you know, people post photos of people from conventions and they make these horrible, horrible statements about them. And I really could just, I, I don't care about that side of it. You know, right. if people see my costume and they come up to me and they want to take photos, that's great. Um, if I meet people who are in a similar fandom and we talk about how we built our costumes or we decide that we want to work on a project together because we both like each other's work, that's awesome. But I don't I'm, – I'm strictly building – it's kind of really more of a competitive process with myself. I like learning, you know, to use new materials, new techniques. Um, and like I said, I, I pick costumes based on the challenge. You know, I'll look at something I'll be like – Hey, you know, I take a lot of classes. For instance, here in Atlanta, there's a store called The Engineer Guy. It's out by the airport, and um, they sell strictly, like, special effects, makeup, um, materials. They sell, like, clay. If you do, you know, latex appliances, they sell all the Smooth-On products. Smooth-On is a brand that makes, like, um, products for casting and, and resins and that kind of thing. And so they have classes, and, you know, if I see an interesting class that they're doing, I'll go and I'll take the class, and then the next time I get ready to do something, I'll be like, hmm, what can I build that I can incorporate this new technique that I learned or mm-hmm. this new material that I now know how to handle and manage? You know, what can I can I do with that? And so that's really the only thing that, that, that drives me. Um, like I said, it, it's awesome. You know, there's people who are very much into, like, the cosplay photographers and that kind of thing. They're awesome. I love you guys. Really, I do. And I'm going to get better about taking photos with you. But I actually get more of a thrill when, like, a little kid comes up to me and they're mm-hmm. excited. And, you know, mm-hmm. they think that you actually are that character. To me, that's, you know, even more exciting than necessarily the adults that I meet that, you know, are appreciative of my work. I mean, I'm happy to meet anybody. But that's really not the side of it that drives me. It's, it's just my own curiosity and my own desire to take, you know, raw materials and make them into something else. And I've always done that. Like, I'm a, I'm a puzzler. 
you know, I've always completed jigsaw puzzles, which I don't even know how. I think people think that that's kind of an old lady thing, the jigsaw puzzle thing. But I buy jigsaw puzzles all the time. And um, I, I do those habitually. You know, you're talking about the plastic models. I was probably the only girl that I knew when I was a kid that I used to put together model cars. And I didn't really care about the car. I'd look and see how many parts there were. You know, ah, how many? Okay. Yeah, did, yeah, did, yeah. Does it actually have a function? Is there an engine under the hood? Do I get to put together the engine? And um, so, you know, when I when I actually went to build my 3D printer, I was amused because I go online and people were like, "Yeah, it took me like 20 hours." And I was like, "What was he doing for 20 hours?" <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take you to put yours together? It wow. took me about no, it took me about it took me maybe nine. Nine and that hours? was with taking okay. breaks, and I and I actually I did it the way they told me to do it. Like I actually did read the directions twice. I took out my bill of materials, and I actually laid everything out and identified the parts. I think a lot of people probably just opened the box up, sat down, and started trying to stick things together. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, no, people I, can't can't put together their IKEA stuff. Right. You know, there, there's a talent today. to it. There's yeah. There's three D. There's a three D. There's there's the ability to to imagine things in three dimensions so that you can put stuff like that together and then there's people who just can't do it so uh, you know and obviously you know for you building costumes this is this is you're wired for this you know what I mean in, in a way yeah because I, I I like I like the creative side I like building I like building things and you know I. Lincoln Logs, that was like my, my choice toy when I was a kid. Lincoln Logs, Legos, blocks, um, you know, even – so my grandmother lived in this old house, and adjacent to it was a field of bamboo. There had okay. been a, a house there some years before, and I think they had planted the bamboo as a part of the landscaping. But, you know, bamboo can become kind of a pest. It, it grows really out of control. And when I was a kid sure. – Every summer, I would make my cousins, I think it was probably really more my idea than theirs, we were forever constructing some kind of a village treehouse thing, and we would go out there and hack down the bamboo, and, you know, even then, I just liked making things. Right. Okay, so what was your most complex costume that you've ever done? Um, Probably the Pacific Rim costume. Um, only because it was really the first time I had ever done armor, and I mm-hmm. really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I've since then I've remade it. Like I think I'm on kind of Bill 3.2 or something like that. But the first time out, I, you know, I'm looking at these pictures. I watched the movie to the point where it was making my eyes bleed. And, um, you know, I've watched all these tutorials, and then finally I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to go buy some foam and try to cut this out. And um, the first thing I did is there's actually a program out there called Peppercora. And Peppercora, um, it's it's free to use, um, but you can also buy a premium version. And basically what it does is it takes 3D models and it turns them into flat files. And you kind of cut things out and you glue them together to recreate the 3D object. So the first thing that I did, you know, after I've hunted around, I come across this Peppercore thing, but again, there's no Peppercore files for this particular sure. costume. Um, I made a uh, helmet. I, I made two. I made uh, Thomas from Daft Punk, and I made uh, the Master Chief helmet. 
and you know, I've got like 9,000 really small pieces of paper that I'm gluing together with hot glue because that's what the internet said to do. And I did that as a challenge to myself just to see if I could actually do it. And I did it, but I also immediately was like, this process takes a bit too long because mm-hmm. the peppercora, you kind of, you, after you get the paper all glued together, um, then you've got to harden it, so you have to do, like, fiberglass, and then you, you put Bondo on it, and then you you got to sand the Bondo forever, and then you paint it up. It's basically almost like if you if you had, like, a hole in your bumper, and they went in and they put a scrim and, and covered it over with Bondo, but it's building 3D objects with paper and, and, and you know, fiberglass and, and Bondo. And I was like, okay, I cannot do this. So that means that I have to use this foam process that these people are talking about over here. And... um. It was trial and error. I think it probably took me eight months, and I would kind of pick it up and stop and start. And then the costumes themselves are beautiful, but they have all these crazy curves and overlapping pieces. And I was just like, what am I? I I want this thing, and I wanted it badly. And, um, you know, I was going on the Internet, and I still, no one was making it. You know, if you go out there and you decide you want to be a stormtrooper, you know, there's thousands of people who've made those stormtrooper costumes. And so readily enough, you can find some resources and at least some people to ask questions of. I found some general groups that I could ask questions, but not about the specific project. And um, I ran across a picture of a guy um, and I, I, I've since met him. His name is Ronald Freeman. He lives down in Florida, and um, he's a disabled vet. And he had done the Stacker Pentecost character from the film, and he'd done it relatively quickly. Like, he wore it to a convention maybe five or six months after the movie came out, and I'm like, I am still poking around with this thing. And, you know, this guy, he already finished his, and I couldn't find, you know, I couldn't find who he was. There was nothing about his build on the Internet. And so I, I had his this picture in with my other uh, my other resource pictures, my other reference pictures, and I would just go back and I would look at that. I would be like, okay, this guy made this happen. I would squint at the picture and I'd be like, okay, I just need to keep keep at it. And I eventually got it finished, and I wore it to Dragon Con, and it wasn't complete, and it was a hot mess, and I had used everything that the Internet told me to use, like every possible technique, every possible material. It was hot. It was stiff, but I thought it was awesome. And a lot of people told me it was awesome. You know, I met a lot of people on the street. They were like, I have no idea what that's from, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, um, I mean, that, that's a good affirmation, though. It is. It is. But, you know, over time, as as I've, you know, gotten better at it, and I, I have some vague idea of what I'm doing at this point, um, I've since revisited it. And so, like, I remade it maybe three or four months later, I remade some of the parts using Kydex, which is a thermoplastic. Most people would probably be familiar with it if you've ever bought a knife or a gun. They make uh, gun handles and uh, knife sheaths out of it. And so I I remade parts of it with that. And um, that, there's actually a cool story to that. So I, I go to this thing. It's called Shatter Dome Con. It's in D.C. I take the train because I've got, like, three plastic containers that that hold this costume and you know once again I I haven't really I've kind of failed at time management so I I get there and the costume is maybe I think 75% done 
So I'm gonna right. work on it in my in my hotel room. It's a really small con because it's it's you know it's mostly about the film, but they added on some like Star Trek folks and there were um, the Star Wars people. They had all three Boba Fett's, which was really cool. Um, so I go to this convention and I actually spend most of the weekend. Whenever I'm not at a panel or socializing, I'm back in my hotel room and I'm furiously trying to finish this costume because it's right. way less finished than I thought it was, even though I just wore it a couple of months ago when it was supposedly finished. And I eventually get finished, and um, they actually had the production team and the VFX guys that did the costumes from the film, and they're actually at this convention. So I've kind of got like a weirdness about wearing this costume because the convention is very small. It's like maybe 120 150 people. So I finally okay. get it all together, and I wear it on Sunday, and I'm kind of hiding in the back of their panel. And uh, this guy says, I can see you back there. Come up here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I get up front, and he's asking me these questions about my costume. And, you know, part of me is doing some kind of weird, soaked-out fangirl thing where I really can't get my thoughts together. And, you know, I'm slightly embarrassed because I'm like, you know, this is my representation of your super fine work. And he's like, well, you know, where's your helmet? And I'm like, I, I didn't get around to making a helmet. He's like, well, put this one on. And he gives me one of the helmets from the film. Mm-hmm. And I get it on, and it's awesome. And my friends take pictures, and we get ready to take it off, and it gets jammed. It's it's stuck on my ears, which my ears don't stick out that much. When I was a kid, my my cousins teased me about it, but they really don't stick out that much. But it gets jammed on my head, and, you know, there's pictures out there on the Internet of of me giggling while this guy tries to figure out how to twist this thing off my head. About the time that we managed to get it off my head, we also realized that the back of it actually opened with magnets, and we could have popped the back off and gotten my head out. But um, it was pretty cool because they signed my armor, and they were like, you know, you you did a great job. And it's like, hey. Yeah, so, you know, validation, yay. And then, you know, you're slightly less embarrassed that you've, you've you know, taken somebody's work and, and made your best representation of it. Yeah, but isn't that, isn't that a, you know, isn't that a form of flattery? Do, I mean, do people really have the mentality, like, when you copy something that might have been their idea originally, they get, you know, bent out of shape about it? Because I, if, I if, there are so. people, if there are people like out there, out there like that, you know, hopefully they'll get hit by a bus someplace because we don't yeah, need no, that. No, 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 not so much. It's, 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 I'm looking at it more of, um, say, for instance, you had painted the Mona Lisa. And, right. you know, then I go and I paint my version. It's, it's not so much um, that I'm concerned that you'll be angry so much as I'm concerned have I done, you know, a well enough job. Oh, a creditable to, job. I see what yeah, you're saying. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that that that's always my concern. You know, and even just wearing a costume to a convention, you know, I'm always I'm very nitpicky. So, you know, a lot of times there are things that I haven't worn on the date that I was scheduled to wear them in my cuz I make these schedules for myself and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I want to wear this at X." And then it's actually, you know, three months later or six months later. In fact, a lot of my costumes from this year are ones from, like, last fall that um, Mm -hmm. I either wasn't happy or they weren't completely finished. But, um, you know, I'm always kind of like, I don't want, I definitely want people to, like, look over and say, oh, that's from this. Or at the very least, I don't know what it is, but it's really cool and it's well constructed. Um, You know, and and different people have different attitudes about that. You know, some people, well, it has to be screen accurate. That, for me, 
isn't a concern. Um, right. I'm more like, you know, is it well constructed? Does it not look sloppy? Well, and the you other know. part of it is, is you, you actually, I mean, uh, you, you definitely have the stones enough to get on public transportation in your costume. So, I mean, no, a I whole lot of people. No, yep, well, nope, it nope, sounds no, like it. If you're sewing stuff on the bucks or you're, you're wearing I, stuff I did, on the I did that that one time. I did that until <laughs> such time as I owned an automobile. And now, okay. you know, because now, you know, I've got these bulky costumes. You know, a lot of these things, they're in like two or three Tupperware bins. In my hotel room, so now it's almost impossible. Um, you know, they oh, look like really big cool. square ones, like, like yeah, not like you know, carrying your lunch for people out no, there. No, no, in fact, no. You're talking um, about like, the little, the, the the actual, like almost like shipping containers, but you can put yes. stuff in them and you carry yes. it. Yeah. Yes. So last year at Dragon Con, um, I, I, I had one, two, I had four costumes, and one of them was fabric, and um, to get down there. My mom drove me because she okay. has a Jeep. I, I drive a ridiculous car. It's a very cool car, but it's a ridiculous car because it's completely useless. Like when I go to Walmart, I have to have a plan. So um, I convinced my mom <laughs> to to drive me down there. And I actually sent, I forgot, I actually had a friend that was vending. So I, I had him take some things. My right. mom takes the rest and, you know, she's got a Wrangler and all this stuff is packed up to the, to the roof. And I, you know, I get there, I always stay in the hotel because it's just easier at this point. And, um, I get ready to go and a friend is like, oh yeah, well, I'll just give you a ride home. And I was like, well, you know, I just really want to go to my workshop because I'm going to these these and I'll get, you know, my mom or somebody can pick me up from the workshop. And she says, yes. And I didn't realize how many bins I had, but um, my friend is really sweet. She ended up having to actually give some friends of hers one of her costumes in a bin so that we could wedge all of my costumes <laughs> in her SUV. So, yeah, my kind of my days on public transit are, are, are kind uh, of over. Yeah, and even even now, you know, I've gone to a couple of cons where I've had to either ship myself something or I drove or, like, with Shadow Dome Con, I took the train specifically because they will let you have four pieces of luggage. Right. And and that's another thing. You know, so so lately one of my things is I've been looking at ways to uh build costumes that they fasten together in smaller pieces to better facilitate that shipping side of it. Cuz uh you know you insure it, but you still have no idea if it's going to show up on the other side. Um I've flown to conventions and um ship things like for instance Amtrak will take a shipping container, but they don't guarantee when it will arrive. They give you this window. So then I've had to have somebody in that other city and be like, hey, you know, in the event my container shows up before I do, I think they give you two weeks to pick it up or something like that. But, um, so you know, then you also have to be finished, you know, which is the great cosplayer, you know, conundrum. Everybody is, you know, I know people that they are finished weeks in advance, but most people I know it's the night before and they haven't slept in three or four days or, (laughs) you know, they're in their hotel room with like, you know, a glue gun or, you know, some more, some more Velcro and they're still trying to put something together. Well, I think, and I mean, that makes sense because let's be honest, all of us who do creative stuff, um, if, if you have a deadline on something, you know, everybody wants it to be perfect. And, 
achieving perfection is always difficult. It's like, okay, the, 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 for my first book, um, the Fulfillment House said, uh, hey, uh, in order for your book to be on the shelves and available by Christmas, we need it by Thursday. And that was like on a Monday. And, and so I, I had to have, I mean, right up until 20 minutes before the deadline, 20 minutes before the deadline, I was transmitting my book because that's, I think that's just the way creative people are because they think that they can always do better or they want to do better because you don't want to do not so good, you know? Right. So it, it makes, you know, the way you handle that makes sense to me. And, you know, the other oh. piece of it is people are constantly um, talking about, oh, I paid this commissioner and I didn't get my thing on time or I didn't get my thing at all. Well, you know, all this stuff is being made from scratch. So to the best of my ability, I set up some kind of a timeline for how long right. I think it's going to take me to do whatever. I've gotten progressively better at that, but, you know, yeah. there's still those times when you're like, hey, the super easy part that I saved for last, it is not easy. You know, I have friends that they, they do all the easy parts first. I saved my easy right. parts for last, or, or at least I thought they were the easy parts. Yeah, but you know what? The other thing is is that it's not what you're doing for a living either. You know, it's an adjunct to your life. And, right. and I don't mean like an adjunct like it's it's extra because obviously it's integrated into your life in a way that's like cool for you, fun for you, and something you're probably going to be doing until your arthritis is so bad you can't do anything anymore, in which case you're going to probably get some young people and you're going to flog mm-hmm. them to make your stuff for you. I'm taking applications from Minions. Sign up. Sign up. Come on over here. <laughs> okay. Um, in in the I, you told me the 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 most complex costume you made. Uh, let's let's talk about the worst thing you ever did. I mean, come on, bust it out. What what happened that one time where you really thought that you were going to show out, and everything was a complete disaster? Okay, I can tell you exactly what that was. So um, about two weeks before I was going to wear the Pacific Rim costume, I somehow okay. let myself be sidetracked by a character that I had seen. She was actually kind of, um, I hate to say mascot, I, I'll say that she's like the spokes character for this other convention that I was going to. And, you know, by now I've been messing with the Pacific Rim thing for a while. I think I know what I'm doing. So I decide that I am going to make this other costume right quick because it's got some parts that are similar to the Pacific Rim parts. It won't be that difficult. I'm almost done with the Pacific Rim thing. Oh, I can make this work. So I I start making this other costume. It looks awesome. It's coming out great. And then I have to paint it. And it's about 11 o'clock at night, the night before I'm going to wear it, and I paint the costume, and it had these kind of weird color block things. It it had um, a chest plate and a back and some shoulder pauldrons and some really cool boots. I'd, I'd made the boots. I'd made the gauntlets. Um, the chest plate, the pauldron, all of it was looking really awesome. I mark it up. I tape it off. I start painting. Everything seems fine. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I think I've got all my paint done, and I leave this stuff to cure. 
in my okay. bathroom. And I wake up the next day. I've, I've decided that it's okay to be late to the convention, even though I've talked to the artist that created this character, and I've kind of – because I wanted to ask him because I didn't want to just – at this point, I didn't know how people went about getting – you know, I didn't know if I needed to, like, get licensing, if I needed to ask. So, I, you know, I had found this guy on the Internet, and I asked him. I said, you know, hey, I see that you've got this character. I want to cosplay as that character. Is it okay? And he was like, yeah, you know, sure, it's awesome. So, um, because it had been developed, you know, strictly for this convention. And, you know, I knew the convention was paying him for this thing. So, I get up in the morning, and two things have happened. The gauntlets are still wet. Um, They had, like, this gold trim, and it is still wet. And, in fact, those gauntlets are on a shelf in my workshop right now, like, four, three, four years later. They are still, still wet. wet. They are still wet. <laughs> and the chest plate, it's dry, but when I take it off the mannequin that I had put it on to paint it, I hear this crackling, and I realize that the whole thing is just, it's got spider cracks all over it. It, 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 it It's not flaking off, but it's all, it's super hard, and it's all cracked. Okay. So, and, and then and then there's one part kind of at the bottom, um, and in 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 the worst possible place that is also still wet and it's not drying. In that so, place. Yeah, in that place. And so yes. okay, I have yeah. kind of like a real meltdown, <laughs> and I ended up not going to the convention. Um, Okay. I felt like I I had let people down because I told this guy that I was coming and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I I learned a lesson there, which, you know, unfortunately, history has repeated itself in other ways. I've had, you know, other – in every cosplay, people have, you know, your different catastrophes. Um, I've had other paint jobs that, you know, it was too humid, it was too cold, something weird happened. Um, I (laughs) – I picked up a hot knife by the wrong end. That was bad. <laughs> I, oh, I kinda had man. To, I had to take some time out for an ice bath and bandages. That was bad. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I, my thing now is I test everything. You know, if, I, if I'm going to be using new materials, I had a friend that um, – he made this really awesome sword, and he texted me some photos of it, and he made it with that pink insulation foam um, that okay. you get, like, at Home Depot. And he, for some reason, I don't know if he didn't know, he had looked it up, he uh, got ready. I can't remember if he was painting it or if he was trying to harden it. I think he hit it with uh, spray paint, and the spray paint just okay. ate right through it. <laughs> oh. It ate, right, it ate right through all of his fantastic work. So, um you know, these things happen. I had a I had a friend that um he made a costume. It was his first one. He didn't know that hot glue isn't all created equal. So when you're gluing <laughs> against this EVA foam, we use the high temperature glue. So it, it says high temp glue right there on the package and you know Atlanta gets very hot. So he 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 actually drove up um because he lives out of town and on his way up he had stored an Iron Man costume in the trunk of the car. And on the way up, the heat got to it. And so when he got to Atlanta, he spilt, He spent some time reconstructing. Okay. 
But yeah, that was that was definitely um probably the worst thing that's that's happened in as much as a build. I tend to be um overly careful once I've actually gotten things constructed. Like I always like to say that I've never actually had a costume falling apart at a convention. Sure. You know, you you always sure. If you come to a convention, you you would see people occasionally. You'll pass a guy who's walking and he's carrying like one arm, or he's carrying a sword that is now and it's now in two parts, or that kind of thing. I, I saw a girl last year at Momocon. She had this really beautiful staff, and the next time I saw her, it was in like two pieces. Oh, that's and too I, bad. And I could see where it had it had basically torn through on one side. So I try to, you know, I try to demo everything out. I'm I'm much more careful about my painting. And if I'm going to use something to harden um, the EVA foam, uh, I, I test it out. There's a lot of different materials out there in the market. A lot of people use just like uh, wood glue and water, but I'm impatient. Right. And, and that takes a long time because you have to put like six or seven coats. So I've been playing with stuff like resins. There's a stuff called styro spray. Um, and so all those things, I'll build like a small part or a small replica of the part that I plan to coat, and I will test it out. Um, sure. Paint, now, I've I've learned my lesson about mixing and matching even brands of spray paint or types of spray okay. paint. Like, you don't want to spray stuff made from plastic and then put enamel on top. Um, right. It can cause all kinds of problems with, like, a top coat. So I usually demo my paint job now to, to prevent that very thing. And it's weird. I, I would say that in my process, uh, finishing is always the part where I kind of still get a bit anxious just because of that, that one event. That And, you know, since then I've had, like, one other paint fail. The prime example, I uh, sprayed over Rust-Oleum with some Krylon. They were both paint for plastic, and suddenly it was smoking and melting, and I had to throw a cup of water on it. So wow. those two events... <laughs> It made me a, a little unsure and, I guess, uh, nervous and paranoid about the paint process. So I, I do a lot of demoing. So my friends will be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, well, tonight I'm going to, you know, make a foam buck of this thing and I'm going to put this on top of it and see what it looks like in the morning. Sure. Yeah. Now, so. somebody somebody asked kind of an operational question here. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm guessing if you look in the – chat room. I'm guessing that you Me? definitely make sure that you can go to the bathroom in your costumes. Uh no, that assistance. is complete no, no, that is a complete lie. Um in fact a couple of months ago I went to this thing called Cardboard Con, which is yeah. uh a halfway to Dragon Con kind of a thing where people construct their costumes out of cardboard. And okay. we, went, we went through the Marriott. The Marriott is like the main host hotel for Dragon Con where everybody kinda walks around on the promenade in their costumes. And um, we went to the ladies' room, and I was like, wow, these are really nice. And the person I was with said, oh, you've never been in here? And I was like, no. <laughs> I you know, see. I, I've got some 20-odd Dragon Cons under my belt, and I had never been in there. Um, I, I'm working on that. I, and, and I was amused because that is my that was the first costume to date that I could go to the bathroom unassisted. Um, I'm trying to get better about it. I, I I don't I know I and I've I've heard all kinds of horror stories you, you know I've got a friend um he he does like Iron Man and uh, Hey Dale if you're out there um 
Dale uh, was telling me this horror story about how he was at Dragon Con and he realized that, you know, he had to go to the men's room. And he got in the men's room and was like, oh, wait a minute, I can't bend my arms far enough. And he's like, excuse me, uh, could you help me for a second? And the guy next to him gave him this horrified look. And he's like, no, 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 no. I just need you to pull this one arm off, you know, just take this one arm off. Um, unfortunately, the things that I've made, you know, lately, even when I read about the costumes from the actual film, the actors in the film weren't able to go to the bathroom. Uh, so I usually don't wear my costumes that long. Um, so that's my workaround. My workaround is generally that I'll put it on and I'll wear it for maybe two or three hours and I go back to my room and I, I take it off and I might put okay. it on later in the day. Right. You, you've officially crossed over into William considers this somewhat crazy territory. No, well, no, I mean, but I, I, but I get it. But no, 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 but I get it. I mean, if you can go upstairs and take your costume off, I mean, that's just as good as being able to go to the bathroom, but. Right, but I mean, I've, yeah, I, I'm, you know. I'm not going to say that people have not told me that as a safeguard, they didn't wear like you know some type of depend type undergarment. Um, you know, some people have handlers that can help them uh, get in and out. Yeah, is everybody, it, listening? It, is everybody listening? Handlers. Yeah. Okay, please continue. No, 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 no go ahead, go ahead. No, no, we get it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I have been known to have handlers because, for instance. Um, if you're wearing armor, it is generally uh, there. You will have range of motion issues. So you know, I need someone if I drop my glove to get my glove. Uh, if yeah. you've got on, if you've got on a helmet or something like that, you you might have limited peripheral vision. You might have low vision. Uh, you know, ideally, you want to make these things as safe as possible. But there's always concessions. Um, so, yeah, mo most people do have a handler slash spotter because, you know, the other thing is, you know, if you can't see down, uh, sometimes suddenly there'll be, like, something on your leg, and you're like, what is that? And and you're like, what is that? And they'll be like, it's a kid. It's a kid. He's he's holding oh, on to your leg. Oh, hanging on to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm no, like, I get that, yeah. Hi, little guy. Or, you know, later on – You'll you'll get some angry Facebook message where somebody's like, "Yeah, I spoke to you like three times and you didn't say anything." And you're like, "I I neither heard nor saw you." Where, <laughs> you know, it's kind of noisy. You've got on the helmet. It's got fans in it so that you don't you know fall over from heat stroke. And it's like, no, dude, I, sure. I didn't. See you. So yeah, I mean, most people will have a handler. You know. All right. Okay. Well, I I I backed away from the crazy, <laughs> and 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 I'm looking at it as practical because I mean like. Okay, I mean, just something as simple as, like, the Academy Awards when or the uh, the host is wearing, you know, a tuxedo, they've, they've got a little leaning board backstage where they can lean because they can't sit down because they don't want to wrinkle anything. So, no, I'm getting it. I'm getting it now. I'm, I'm all right. I'm better. I'm better. I'm better than I was five minutes ago. But, I mean, but, but the other thing is that, that I think the coolest part of it is to have the dedication – to the art, the dedication to the costume, the dedication to to the the cosplay itself, itself, where where you're immersed in it to the extent that the realism is like the kick, and and you know being able to to put it together well, to present well, and to have other people consider you well, I would guess. Yeah, definitely, and 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 that's always my thing. I'm not. 
so much worried about the the screen accuracy. Um, there's organizations out there that I think are very cool, like the 501st, you know, Vader's Fist. These guys do Star Wars costumes that are screen accurate, and you actually have to go through a process where they vet your costume. They actually examine right. your costume. They have rules about construction and stuff like that. And that's awesome. I've even considered joining just for the challenge of, of doing sure. a costume that way. But, um, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, I want this thing to be comfortable. I'm not too interested in whether I can do this thing or that thing. Or, you know, I'm funny about being constricted. Like, for instance, I would never wear anything that would prevent my ability, for instance, to exit a building in case of a fire. But I have right. seen people um, wearing costumes or fetish wear where I'm kind of like, your range of motion is so impeded right now that I am concerned for you. I would never do that. But, again, to each his own. That, you know, the way that you choose to costume and do your cosplay, that's completely your business. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm, I, am, I am not a small girl, you know. I'm, I'm a curvy girl. So, you know, there's some things, I mean, you look at, you know, anime characters, characters in comic books, and most of them have these completely unreal bodies. So when I construct my costumes, you know, I'm always kind of looking at it and going, hey, that piece right there is pretty cool. However, (laughs) you know, I have have bits that are missing in in this image here. And so I am going to make my chest plate like this. Or my thigh is going to have to be like this in order to to get a good fit for myself. And, you know, that's always my ultimate goal. I just want my costume to fit me as well as I can and to, uh, you know, pay careful attention to the workmanship. Yeah, I saw somebody who was dressed, who had built this whole, um, I don't know if you know uh, Davros from Doctor Who, but he's a guy who's in like a motorized chair. He's part Dalek, part, I don't know, kind of humanoid. And, but he had to have people had to have people push him around because it wasn't totally motorized. But there's a pretty good example of maybe having a costume where your mobility could be seriously impaired. You know what I mean? Right, right. And you know, I to me that's a worry. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I yeah. always tell people, you know, cosplay your way is is my motto. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. You do the thing that you do, um, you right. know, within your means. You know, a lot of people get very caught up on, oh, well, I read this article and they were using this kind of expensive paint or they were using this expensive material that I can't afford. And I'm always like, no, make your costume with the things that are readily accessible in your geographic area that you can afford, sure. that you're comfortable, that you you have the facilities to work with. You know, right. and, and it's amazing because if you, if, you, if you go online, it's really just a matter of creativity and wherewithal and know-how. Because if you go online, there's people in developing countries who uh, I've seen some crazy bills out of cardboard, and they're using paraffin wax to smooth. And they're building, you know, Isn't that Gundam. flammable? Um, it is. Paraffin's um, flammable, isn't it? Yeah. It is, it is. Um, but we didn't know that at first because we used to put it on circus tents to make them waterproof before we discovered that it's flammable. But uh, they're okay. using it to, to, to smooth uh, cardboard. They they glue it all right. together with Elmer's glue. It takes them a very long time. They put the wax on top. Um, then they top coat it. Some of them are using house paint and stuff like that. And they're building incredible things. So it's sure. definitely, you know, there are people that 
they readily spend five, ten thousand dollars on one costume. You know, they get the whole Damn. thing pretty they they use leather, they use the actual materials that were used to make the one in the film and all this kind of stuff and that's awesome. I, I do not have the finances for that. So I I build as best I can with the materials that are available to me and that's what I encourage other people to do. Um, don't let yourself get so caught up in the I have to use this kind of material because right. everybody works differently. So, you know, if there's anything that I can drive home to people who are interested in cosplaying is that, number one, you can probably make it yourself. And sure. that in and of itself can be a difficult concept because a lot of people look at this stuff and they're like, wow, how they do that. Now, yeah. Back in the well, okay. early 90s, when I first yeah. started seeing stormtroopers like at, at, at Dragon Con and, uh, you know, stuff like that, I thought that they had somehow actually gotten a hold of costumes from the sun. Sure. I didn't, it was a while before I realized that these things were being constructed by fans. But, um, you know, there's plenty of resources out there on the Internet. You know, go watch your tutorials and then just play with stuff. You know, get a little uh-huh. piece of whatever. And, and see if you can if you can work it out. You know, it's just like me making the the peppercorn thing. I was like, okay, am I going to be able to do this? And there's some pretty easy peppercorn patterns out there. Um, get yeah. one of those. Buy yourself three dollars worth of craft foam and a container of glue or a hot glue gun, and see if you can put it together. And you know, if you have the patience to do that, it's a it's a stepping block, it's a building block kind of a process. You can then go and do anything else. Let me ask you this. What's the most you've ever spent on a costume? Uh, I don't I, – the, once or twice I've tried to track expensive, but that, that always just makes me depressed. Um, probably at this point, because I've made it three times, the Pacific Rim thing is easily into the thousands of dollars. Okay. Um. And, you know, and that's not counting rent. Um, so I I still don't own my own home. So, you know, I, I share a house. And sure. there's just not space enough here. You know, I can destroy the kitchen, but I cannot leave it that way. I can have right. stuff out on the deck. I cannot leave it that way. So I chose to rent an actual studio workspace so that I could work, you know, 24-7, I can go and make noise and saw and use the belt sander and all that kind of stuff and not bother anybody. So sure. um, if, if, you know, if I threw the cost of rent on top, um, you know, all of them are have gotten kind of out of control. But I, I would say that on average I probably spend maybe I would say on the low end two, three hundred bucks per costume. Yeah. Um, but because I because I do a lot of test building, and I'm and I am always you know looking to add something new or to try something out, and because all of them are really two or three kind of demo and test parts, um, that's kind of how I end up with uh, a little bit creep a little bit of creep on the finance side. Sure. You know I'll, I'll say I'm only going to spend X, but then I will go and buy this other thing like. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, you know, well, no, seriously, like, like right now, I'm working on this uh, Mass Effect armor. I started last year, and then I kind of lost interest because I, the armor itself in the game has this crazy carbon fiber look. 
And so I was on the quest for carbon fiber. So I bought car wrap, which actually I bought the car wrap the first time to use in the Pacific Rim costume, and I didn't mm-hmm. like the way that it worked. So then I watched a bunch of tutorials on car wrap, and I bought some different car wrap to to work on the, the N7 stuff from Mass Effect with, and I, I didn't like that. So um, I then found some printed vinyl that looks like the carbon fiber, so I, I demoed that. Then I saw some tutorial about um, a paint process, so I bought the paint and I tried that out. So things like that can kind of get a little expensive. Um, sure. But again, I, you know, I, I, I am fortunate to have, you know, a, a, a decent paying day job, and I'm not married. I don't have any kids, so, you know, if I'm a little short and eating ramen at the end of the month, it's really only affecting me. <laughs> right. But I... But I do, you know, I save materials, and now there's a lot of, like, cosplay swap meets and that sort of thing, so you can kind of go and offload stuff that wasn't working for you. Um, right. I have a lot of friends with a similar interests, so, you know, we, we give each other things or sell each other things. It's like, you know, hey, I, you know, I've, I've got a friend that um, he had bought, like, a, a bunch of a particular kind of foam. It's it's a it's a open cell foam that you can only get like in the UK, but the UK guys use it to make a lot of stuff. And he tried it out and he didn't like it. So, um, you know, it was like, hey, do you want some of this? Or you know, you buy paint that you only needed a little bit, but you can't buy it in a little bit. You got to buy the whole can or the whole jar, and you right. sell it to a friend for a couple of bucks. So you know, you can kind of work it out. And then there's some things that you know I I keep on hand all the time. Uh, you can't spray directly on top of the EVA foam. You have to seal it with something first. So an expedient route is a stuff called Plastidip. And um, it was originally made to spray, like, on the handles of wrenches and screwdrivers, that kind of thing, to give it some texture so it doesn't slip out of your hand, like when you're working on a car. But you can actually okay. spray it on the foam, and then that allows you to then spray with just rattle, what we call rattle cans or, or spray paint on top. And um, so the plastic dip I keep around all the time, but the actual rattle cans, I tend to buy, like, too many cans so I don't have to go to the store in the middle. So I might have, like, an extra can of red or something like that. And if it's some strange color that I know I'm not going to use, you know, I just offload that on a friend. Well, I mean, you know, there are fundamentals that everybody has to have for whatever they do. If you work on cars, you have to have Bondo. You know, if you're going to do body right. work, yes, you're going to do this or this or this. So, I mean, those are kind of like just the tools and the and the supplies of the trade. Um, have you ever done a costume for someone else, or is, is it just for you so far? Um, I I recently took my first actual paid commission. Um, I've I've made costumes for friends, but I've been hesitant to uh, take commissions. Only because, okay. like I said, I you, you I, there's actual groups on Facebook where the the group the sole purpose of the group is to discuss bad commissioners. Okay. And while I will admit that there are scam artists out there that are actually just taking people's money with no intention of ever providing them with anything, I do think that a lot of people they simply get overbooked. Um, you know, as we've talked about, and, and I'll tell anybody, you know, time management. You can try but you're building this stuff from scratch. Sure. And you may have an idea of the technique or the process that you're going to use to fabricate a piece, 
but it's not until you actually get ready to do it that you have any real idea of the actual scope. So, well, you know, I think... you've never I, done it before. You right. Know, you've never and, done and you something before. You know, right. Yeah, I mean, you and, can you have know, setbacks or whatever, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, there's some people that they only make one thing. You know, there, there's a couple of guys out there that they only do, like, the Stormtrooper armor. So for those guys, you know, they're kind of like, okay, you're this tall, you weigh this much, I'm going to have to make this one. And they know for a fact that it takes them X amount of time to vacuum form and cut and sand that particular size of that particular sure. costume. But, you know, usually you get people, you know, I get emails every day from people who are like, yeah, I want this character. And then I have to go Google it because I don't, I'm like, huh, what is that? I don't even know what it is. And, you know, you can look at it and have a vague idea, but you, and you can kind of give them a quote in a, in a time frame. But there's no guarantee. So I've kind of been hesitant. Um, right. But, you know, there's a couple of things that I have a better idea of how long it will take me to construct, like, smaller pieces. Um, and so lately I've, I've taken on a couple of paid commissions for that kind of thing. I'm still not at a point where I'm I'm comfortable saying, yes, I'm going to do this entire suit of armor you, for you for, you know, this amount, and you're going to have it by this date. Because I, I sure. don't want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint, and I definitely don't want my name, you know, on the Internet with accusations of, of scamming people or ripping them off. Right. Now, have you ever considered turning your talents to doing, uh, you know, costuming for movies or TV shows or anything like that? Actually, mostly I have. Mostly for movies. For movies, yeah. Um, yeah, mostly for movies. Actually, I have. Um, previously, when I did film work, you know, I was a script supervisor. I, When I was a PA, like, at the very, very beginning of my career, um, I might have worked on, like, one or two things where I ended up working in wardrobe or the costume department. So that's not completely off the table. I would be interested. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to get, like, an internship with um, – you know, a production house that's, that's strictly doing costuming. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, I've talked to a couple of people that are doing kind of indie films and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking about getting my feet a little wet that way. It, yeah, it, that, and would awesome. that would be that would be great. You know, the only thing about the film work is when I was, and I'm sure nothing has changed about this, you know, it, it's very long hours. Yes, it and, is. And I, I enjoyed it greatly, but... I, I remember sleeping in the grip truck a lot, and I remember a lot of, like, 16, 20, 32-hour days, <laughs> you know, where you've got some weird thing where, you know, you finish at 3, and for whatever reason, the call time is supposedly 7. And you're like, well, I'm just going to sleep in the grip truck because there's no way I'm going to drive home and sleep for, like, 90 minutes and, you know, and drive back, back. Out yeah. Yeah, and drive back out here to West Hill. I'm not going to do that. So, um. I am interested, you know, Atlanta is now a booming market. You know, all the Marvel films are shooting here now. And uh, even, you know, kind of uh, micro-budgeted indies, there's a lot of those around. So we will see. We will see. It, it's definitely something I'm interested in. So if there's anybody that's listening that knows somebody or knows somebody that knows somebody, help me out. Yeah, well, I'm going to shoot a full uh, feature movie up here, but we're not going to need any kind of hot costumes like that. Otherwise, I'd give you a call. But, There's always uh, room for a dream sequence. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, mine's a bank heist movie. I mean, you know, how does that translate into doing, you know, always well, think about it. room we'll, for all right, a dream we'll sequence. All right, we'll talk later, all right? I worked and, on and this it, thing. It was basically... 
a, a kind of a gangster movie thing, and okay. the lead character's wife kept dreaming about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> so the dream okay. sequences were all like sword and sorcery, da da da, and then you flip right back to like urban Chicago. It can happen. It can happen. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, now now I'm thinking about oh shoot, I got to rewrite parts of the script now. Uh, see what you've done. <laughs> See what you've done just to, you just know, to pimp some of your own work. You're gonna make me rewrite my script. All right. Well, I'll, you, I'll there could be an it. there could be an alien abduction. You know, people can daydream. They don't actually have to be asleep. They can daydream. You know, it's, actually, you know, the secret life of Walter Mitty that works. No, you're right. The, ne- the, the next movie after that though is an ur- urban adaptation of uh, Lewis Carroll's The Christmas. I mean, uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Ah. And so you got you got uh, Christmas future, Christmas present, and Christmas past ghosts. So so maybe maybe there's maybe there's a place for you to do exotic costuming for them. Yeah, you know Christmas future. We're not talking about next week, next century. No, we're hey. talking about you know ten, fifteen. Well, you know, look look how fast things are changing. You know? Yeah. So so maybe so. We'll we'll talk. Um, if you had, because we've got about 10 minutes, if you had one thing that you wanted to tell other people about the pitfalls of what you're doing and and where, you know, when if people are going to get involved in, in cosplay, um, what, what would you say to somebody who's going to be thinking about doing this for the first time, you know, maybe putting together their first costume or, or you know, what have you? Okay, the pitfalls. Well... I guess the number one is that haters are going to hate. So you cannot, and it's a very difficult thing because when I took that gap, you know, I was in school, but a part of me had also decided that maybe I was a little bit too old and maybe I didn't have the right body type to wear the costumes that I wanted to wear. So between the external negative voices you also have to be aware of your own internal internal negative self-talk. Um, okay. And you can't, you you know, because we live in this age of social media and cosplay has become uh, so popular, it is not uncommon to find images of yourself being shared, you know, on Facebook, it's on Imgur, it's in Reddit, and people are making sometimes disparaging comments about you. I have been sure. fortunate that I apparently, because I'm so self-centered and I am the center of the universe, I don't actively <laughs> seek out commentary <laughs> on myself, nor have okay. I actually run across any. However, I have had friends who, you know, somebody sends them an email and says, oh, by the way, did you know that they're talking about you over in Reddit or over in 4chan or People have posted uh, a photo of you from, you know, Con X, and there's this thread. And people are mostly being complimentary, but there's some people in there that are saying this thing. You can't do that. You you have to create your costume, and you have to wear it for yourself. Right. if If you go into it with any kind of an expectation beyond your own personal enjoyment, uh-huh. That is setting yourself up for disappointment. You have to be able to enjoy your costume and enjoy what you did yourself without necessarily getting that feedback from other people. 
Cause or, or living be any for number, the feedback. Right, or living for the feedback. And it could be any number of reasons why you're not getting feedback. Like, for instance, the first time I wore the Pacific Rim thing, right. people were not flocking to me, you know. But as I was walking around, I did have, you know, several people walked up and were like, I don't even know what that's from, but it's really cool. You know, okay. it could be people, people don't know what it – you can't assume why you're not getting that kind of interaction. It could be anything. People might not know what it is. You might have picked a character that's not popular. I, I don't do that either. I pick things that I want to do. And, you know, I don't necessarily pick out characters because of their popularity. But, again, your cosplay is your cosplay. So you make whatever you want to make. But you definitely have to do it for yourself, and that has to be um, – if, if you can't make it your sole focus, it at least needs to be the greater part of why you're choosing to do it. Uh-huh. Um, I would say don't let yourself get so caught up in, in the material side of it. You know, YouTube is your friend. We did not have the Internet when I first started doing this. Um, and, I, you know, you did, most people back then were doing um, just fabric. And you would go to, like, Hancock and you would buy, you know, I always tell people about Frankensteining patterns. You go and you find a pattern that looks kind of sort of like the thing that you want to make. And mm-hmm. then maybe the sleeves off of this thing, if I fasten those to this shirt here and I do this kind of a pant, it'll look like this thing that I want to make. Um, so don't allow yourself to get too caught up in the things that you see on the Internet. The Internet is your friend, and um, there's lots of cosplayers out there that post tutorials. I'm just getting into, like, you know, really posting tutorials and information and stuff on my own site. But – uh, you know, there's tutorials out there, there's YouTube, watch those things, watch those things, and then look at the materials that are being used, look at the techniques and decide which ones you think you can do, and then just try them out. You know, don't allow anyone to tell you that you have to do anything any particular way. Now, for safety concerns, yes, there are things that you can't do. Like, for instance, you can't spray paint foam. It will melt. But uh, whether you choose to use spray paint or acrylic paint or um, markers or you you glue fabric on top of things, those are your personal choices. Um, and I and my other thing that we touched on briefly earlier is safety first, and that means if you are going to be heating things or you are going to be using chemicals, read the directions. Believe the directions. If it tells you well ventilated, they don't mean your bedroom in the wintertime. Usually when they say well ventilated, they are thinking that you are going to be working on this in like an auto garage or a large warehouse where there's a large volume of clean air outside of your workspace that is going to allow, you know, whatever vapors or fumes that are being given off to dissipate. Um, if it says that you need to wear gloves, you know, I have many, many different kinds of gloves. I've got um, I've got nitrile gloves. I've got uh, acid-resistant gloves. Wear the correct safety garments. You know, if you're sanding something, if you're using a Dremel, you want to wear eye protection. If you are using shop equipment like bandsaws and things like that, you want to wear your eye protection. You want to wear your ear protection. You want to invest in a – you can get kind of a less expensive pair of um, – work gloves, so always be safe. You know, you get you have one set of eyes, you have one set of lungs. 
um, inhaling some of this stuff, you can get, you know, they were talking yesterday about uh, vaping and how some people have this thing called popcorn lung. You can get right. popcorn lung from any number of the adhesives and things that we use. So a lot of times when you're seeing these people and they're talking about this stuff on the Internet and they're telling you, oh, I use this kind of adhesive or, well, just put it in your oven and heat it up, right. always go. There's OSHA uh, PDFs that are downloadable for just about anything that you can buy. And it will tell you what you need to do. You know, there are temperature constraints or there's handling constraints. You need to know what those things are. And, you know, it makes me crazy when I go to panels and somebody says, oh, and it smells bad. No, it is giving off fumes. Yeah. Well, people don't, making people don't understand toxins. They don't know. They don't know. You, you do not want to pay for your hobby with your life or your health. So I, I would hang say on, that hang that on. Is wait, wait, I'm, wait, I'm writing that down. Hang on. A or no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. I think but, I, but, but, you, you know, so that, that would be my most. I would say that that is actually my most yeah. important takeaway. Do your thing, yeah. but do it safely. Yeah. Um, see, now you've made me consider possibly doing this. You know, I, I'm thinking about maybe going as Emmett from the Lego Movie. Um, you can totally do it. That, yeah, that would be such an easy topic. It'd be fun, but I, you know, I don't know. I Google the box heroes. It seems like a lot of work, but on and for me, just sitting here because mm-hmm. I've never done it. But then I think, on the other hand, once I get into it, the work is going to be kind of like cool. You know, it's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, here. I'm creating. And, uh, yeah, so I, I guess you just have to pay attention to what you want to do and then decide if it's for you. I mean, uh, right. one day, and you know, one day. You might, you might be cussing, crying while you're doing it, but you'll be having fun, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somehow if you're crying because of your hobby, <laughs> somehow, you know, we're going to have to talk about that later. But anyway, well, um, <laughs> it's, I mean, now, let me ask you this. We've been talking uh, about this stuff for two hours. Does it seem like yep. you've been talking for two hours? It doesn't, and I I was actually very worried about that because I, I told Jarvis, I was like, Jarvis, I, what am I going to talk about for two hours? I was like, I can't talk about anything for two hours, can I? Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, and you I just, was worried that you would you, ask me pop culture questions because no, I, I can't think of under But see, here's the thing. Pop culture is not what drives you. What drives you is is a cool costume, a great concept, and and the the actual accomplishment of doing a creditable job. So it's not it, you know, I don't see it as being a matter of pop culture for you. But I will tell you this: Pacific Rim was the loudest GD movie I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't know if they turned it up that loud in the theater, but it was the loudest, loudest movie I had ever heard. And I've heard a lot of movies. I that have one, actually, I, there's, there's a panel that a professor, I believe he's at the University of Chicago, um, right. and he's done at several conventions around the company, country that are specifically about the sound design in that film. And it's actually really, really interesting. You can probably look it up on the Internet. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. But uh, check it out. It's like, it says, it's like Pacific Rim Sound Design Convention Panel, and it should spit it back out. And it's very interesting because he talks about they use, like, all sorts of animal and machine 
Yeah, they sound. did. They did. Create they were very sound creative. Of the Jaeger and 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 uh, the the kaiju. So, yeah, I but, you know, compression. Uh, no, I mean, it's uh, here's the thing. People don't realize that sound is more important in a movie than the visual. They have no idea. Most people who go to who go to movies, most people who are even into um, doing their doing their own productions, they don't realize mm-hmm. that sound is far more important than the visuals. Anyway, well, I actually we're just got to see that, oh, that panel twice, and he has a whole segment where he sits you in the dark and you discuss what you what you heard now that you are not looking at the visual. So yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, I want to thank you for being there. Oh, by the way, I, there was a there was a mistake in that movie, and I put a correction in on IMDb, but I didn't go back and check to see if they they posted it or not. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I've had a great no, time. No, it was great. I'm glad. I'm awesome. glad you were here. And and you know, there's going to be a whole lot of people who pick this up as a podcast because we haven't covered cosplay at all, and and having somebody who does what you do. And you do it well, and and it's obvious. It's so obvious that you have nothing but fun doing it. So uh, I want to thank you for being here because you oh, know when when I get people right. like you on the show, it's really easy for me, especially when I have a cold. I got a fever right now. Um, you know, I'm not feeling very well. I'm in love with a woman I can't stand. I got issues. Okay, so. Um, no, you, you've got a newsstand. It's a little bit beyond just issues. Oh. Okay. Actually, I, I, I actually have a whole library. No, girl, I have a whole library. It's a whole library. But thank you for being here. And you know what? We're going to probably check on you maybe a year or so down the road. And also, oh, do. also, be sure any of these conventions you're going to, put the fact that you're going to be at those conventions in the uh, the events calendar on BSFF. Because oh, that way people who have heard you on the show can come and see you and, and kind of broaden, you know, Broaden, and absolutely come up and say and hello. Yeah. <laughs> if do. I, um, have you ever been to C2E2 up here in Chicago? No. No, I have not, um, although it's kind of on my hit list. I have friends that don't travel to conventions, but I do. And um, every year I usually give myself like three so- slots. And so C2E2 is definitely on my, hmm, that might be a good one to travel to list. Yeah, let me, let me know because I'll take you to lunch. Seriously. No bullshit. I will totally do that. Lunch. I will totally do okay. that. So when I call um, you like next year and I'm like, hey, by the way, where's my lunch? You know, and, don't and like I'll you say, don't well, and I, no, 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 <laughs> it's not going to be like that. No, because I'm going to say, well, look, you know, you you get your lunch when you get your butt up here. That's how it works. All right. So uh, so seriously, um, keep in touch. Put your stuff on the events calendar, and and really, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out for the show tonight. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I, I had a blast. It was awesome. I'm glad. All right. And uh, if Jarvis is still awake, if he hasn't fallen asleep, if he hasn't driven to go pick up his son, if he's not downstairs making a sandwich, if he is Talk not doing his pump. Oh, Uh-oh. okay. So I thought I was talking about you behind your back, but apparently you were listening. So <laughs> take it away, Jarvis. It's no sandwiches, but um, I'm here with one of the Walter Sexton. He's a member of the site. And uh, we're about to, uh, I'm about to show him some of the motion capture stuff because he's doing some voiceover work with Earthquake. <laughs> with that oh, said, I want to thank Tanya and William for all the great work you just did. And Tanya's so cool, man. I had to have her on the show. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to harass you, Randy. 
<laughs> so I walk up to him and I and I asked him, I was like, Are you cosplaying as Randy Jackson? And he just gave me this look. And okay. I was like, Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. Wow. Like, oh my God! You, got you should it. just I, embrace it. You got to find yourself like a Paula and a Simon. Man, I'm waiting for them to have a competition so I can enter and get that money. <laughs> Come on, man. Gotta get those coins. Gotta get those coins. But yeah, I've learned so much uh, listening to you on the show about the process, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you post some more stuff on the site in regards to the stuff that you already done. I've kind of stalked yep. Facebook already. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm actually going to put up a post tonight about, uh, so I, I just did Hair of the Dragon, which is like a Dragon Con lead-in photo shoot. And um, I, I'm working on a Sith Inquisitor thing. So I've, all year long I've been like adding a piece to it here and adding a piece to it there. So I just used this stuff called Ecstasy 3D. Um, and I and I use that in Wonderflex. So those of you who are listening, my website is thrillbills.com, um, and you can log on, and, in, and probably tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to put it up later on tonight, probably next hour or so, um, I have a post about that build and uh, using the Wonderflex and smoothing the Wonderflex, because I know that's a thing that people talk about. Um, it's a thermoplastic, but it kind of has a uh, – it's got a, a shim in it, so it has a texture. And so one of those things that cosplayers are always trying to figure out is how to smooth it out so you can paint it. So I covered that in my post. Okay. Very cool. cool. And also, also, once uh, give, give us about an hour, hour and a half, and then you can link to your show, the show we did tonight, from your website. That way people I can get totally to know you a lot better. I can totally get that. to know you a lot better. All right? You so don't forget. All right. You can Thank listen you so much. You can download it. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you, William, for making it entertaining as always. Well, it's uh, you know, it's, it's just what I do. Even even when I'm under the weather, I am better than most. So but that's yeah, all I gotta say. William's been sick and he still did the show, and I'm sure nobody even noticed. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I I will be honest, and and this may be more. This may fall under that too much information thing. But being able to do this from home and being able to do this in my jammies is about the only saving grace that I had tonight. So anyway, let let me just do this. You I want to say jammies. thank you to, huh? <laughs> I said at least you had damage this time. That's true. I want to say thank you to everybody who listens to this show live. I certainly want to say thank you to everybody who picks it up as a podcast. We are here most Fridays live um, starting at 9 p.m., right around 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, tell your friends about it. If you see something interesting, drop in yourself. Go ahead and listen. We We appreciate it all of the attention that we get, and I appreciate all the people who do come by and listen to the show. So on behalf of uh, our special guest, Tanya L. Woods and uh, Jarvis Sheffield, king of all he surveys, I want to wish everybody a good rest of your evening and a great weekend ahead. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.